thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode is brought to you by Charles Stanley Wealth Managers. Charles Stanley is committed to providing financial peace of mind through personalized financial planning and expert investment management. To find out more, visit www.charles-stanley.co.uk. Investment involves risk. I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. We've talked a lot about the war in Ukraine on this channel. We've had military experts, political theorists. Unheard has even had multiple reporters on the ground. Some of the voices we've heard from take a cautious, even skeptical line. They're worried about escalation risks, the need for some kind of peace deal to emerge. Well, today's guest offers a very different perspective. She's a Ukrainian MP and professor, deputy leader of the Holos pro-European opposition party, and she was Deputy Minister of Education and Science from 2014 onwards. She's one of the most eloquent voices explaining the Ukrainian position. So we couldn't think of anyone better to gently challenge on those escalation risks, on what a realistic ending for the war might be, whilst also trying to understand her perspective and what she's going through on the ground. She joins us from Kiev. Welcome to Unheard. Thank you for having me. So you're talking to us from Kiev. I guess I should start by asking, we've seen some images in recent days of explosions and threats in Kiev. What's the atmosphere like now and and what's day-to-day life like? Well, I'll tell you this. Indeed, there have been since uh, May 1st, uh, uh, 17 or 18 nights when explosions were heard basically in all parts of the city. So you can imagine that's basically every other night. That is extremely disturbing, I'll tell you this. Uh, I don't necessarily always get the air raid alert, something uh, everybody has an app on their phones. Then then there is also an outside uh, air raid alert. But sometimes you are just too tired over the night. You just don't hear that. But then you wake up in the middle of the night because of the very loud explosions. And and literally your heart starts bumping and, and your hands are trembling and then they go numb. <laughs> At least that's that's my physical reaction. That is something very, very scary. That That's something that nobody wants to wake up to. And this has been indeed happening almost every other night. Uh, this night it was uh, uh, okay. There were no explosions. But it's basically like this. You go to bed and you don't know when explosions are going to happen. There are many people that my team is joking like, okay, I'm going to bed earlier so that I have enough sleep before the explosions start. And people are using the subway, is that right? If they're anxious about the explosions? Um, well, if it is somewhere really close, then yeah, I go to the bomb shelter or to the subway station. Well, the subway station would often be the, the closest uh, bomb shelter to you. 
But I think that the basic rule that uh, um, that everybody is following is at least be in the room that doesn't have any windows. That is the minimum requirement. Um, and I think you understand if it happens every other night, you simply cannot be spending every other night in metro station. So I think I'm just to hide my son and myself in, in, the, in the wardrobe, basically. And yet life seems to be going on in, to some degree in Kiev and, and you know, restaurants are open and nightclubs. And, and is that true? I mean, how, how much is normal life carrying on despite this background threat? Well, life goes on. I think, uh, well, to begin with, I, before the big war started, I was watching many movies bef about war. And I was thinking, like, people behave strangely at wartime. You would think that they would behave differently, but they go to restaurants. And that seemed weird when you watch that on, in a TV or in, in a film. And then you live through this and you realize that, yeah, life goes on. I mean, you still do lots of stuff for, for the war. My partner is, is with the army. Uh, you know, my son goes to the bomb shelter at school when there is an air raid a lot. But you still need to buy food. You still need to have coffee to wake up in the way I need coffee after those nightly explosions and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it, it can seem like from the outside, if you just take a snapshot, it seems all right. But then you see signs of, of abnormality. Uh, one of them being there is enormous number of people in military uniform on the streets. And that is something that I, I, I still keep on noticing. Is like that is something we didn't have two years ago. But there are many, many people wearing uniform right now. You go to your social media and you read yet another post of someone, friend of a friend, being wounded or killed in action and so on and so forth. So it might look like more or less normal because people have to leave. You know, I have to. No, my son will not have another childhood. So I do take him to McDonald's when, when he gets, uh, you know, sometimes or, or you know we get pizza because again he's not gonna get another childhood so i have to take care of that uh but i think that uh, you have to understand that those are signs of normality but not really normal life itself what about politics because this is something that i guess doesn't get a lot of airtime. but you're technically an opposition um mp your your party was it falls into the opposition group is, the, is politics continuing to, to some degree? What, 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 are there opposition voices to President Zelensky? Or is it this sense that because there's a war going on, you know, no criticism is appropriate? There are several issues where indeed politics is limited. One is communication, any communication on the issues of defense and army and on international cooperation. When we go in different delegations to trip abroad, we always speak one voice because it's it's about all it, it and it's not because it's being censored and not because we are being forced to do so, but because the situation for us as the country is so black and white, like we need more weapons to survive and we need our partners to continue supporting us. Regardless of which party you belong to, this is basic true for for your for for, uh, for survival of us as politicians in the country. Uh, because you know that is dependent upon the country's survival. So, so there is no um, no uh, uh, like uh, different voices on that. And then there is one matter when there is indeed uh, uh, I would call it cen not censorship. You can um, even sen yeah, actually it's it's technically it's censorship. You are not allowed to publish in or to speak about information about like like where weapons are being located or you know mm. all the stuff related security to security issues. Yeah, yeah, security issues. 
But other than that, yeah, life uh, goes on and politics goes on. There are issues that we disagree on, on internal politics, even though, of course, like internal politics itself just takes up much less time right now because we are all focused on 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 helping the army and making sure that that we survive as a nation uh, but there is still issues of internal politics that we debate uh, uh, or that we disagree on uh, where different bodies or different members of parliament have different positions i'll give you one example an issue i'm working closely on is, is lgbt rights and the introduction of same-sex partnerships in ukraine I'm the main um, uh, initiator of the bill, the main author of the bill. And yes, there is politics involved around that issue that, uh, you know, uh, rose quite a lot of debates. So so that is one example where politics is still there. Because a lot of people don't realize that um, President Zelensky and his party was sort of, it, was a, it wasn't pro-Russian, but it was at the time when he was elected considered more accommodating, more conciliatory with the Russian voices, and your party was among those that was a more strongly pro-European uh, opposition voice. Is there any of that sort of flavor still there, or is it the sense that everyone now sees this in, a, in more of a similar way? Uh, it's more like everybody sees it like we did mm. before. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, um, um, yeah, I'll tell you this. Uh, both in politics, but also in the society, I think the situation have changed. Now the level of support for us becoming EU members is 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 ninety percent. For us becoming NATO members is is eighty plus percent. It was different numbers two years ago, and I think uh, President's party were trying to balance between different positions. We were more straightforward. Like we need to go to EU. We need to become NATO members. We need to fight corruption. So we were very straightforward. Yeah, uh, they were. Um, in more, I wouldn't say they definitely were not pro-Russian, but they were more vague and they were trying to balance different positions in the society. But waking up to explosions in your city kind of changes your perspective quite a lot. The atmosphere over here, I don't, I'm, I'm sure you've been um, traveling during this period, but it's, it's nothing like what you're experiencing, but there is still a sense of tension and that um, if in the media people make comments that are deemed to be not supportive enough of Ukraine, then they, they can get in a lot of trouble on social media. There's, it's tense, I would say. Um, are there any voices inside Ukrainian social media that are also, you know, if they start talking about accommodations or they start talking about freezing the conflict or they start talking about negotiations, are, they, are there such voices? No. So, so you, I mean... Uh... There probably are, so so there have been several um, I'm trying to think about that there have been several like, media like bloggers uh, that have been very active in promoting Russian uh, pro-Russian like let's accommodate let's let's have a deal and uh, let's make peace and, and so forth um, they're still present they have much less uh, followers now uh, and even they have changed their rhetoric that there is one blogger that that. Uh, keeps ringing in my mind, uh, he definitely changed his position right now. So he still has his followers, but his position is now the opposite. Uh, I mean, he's, he's still, uh, he needs to be punished for what he did before. And it was clearly like he was being paid off by Russians. There are no doubts about that. But he has not been kind of censored by the government. But I think people's position have just changed so dramatically. But no, I wouldn't say that there are many people who would, uh, I can't even think of anybody, truly. We mostly disagree on issues of internal politics, but but 
uh, there are no big debates on on foreign policy now. Okay, well let 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 me share some um, issues that we we've been coming across. So most recently today, in fact, there was an interview in the Times of London um, with a member of the Free Russia Legion. Um, this is a, a pro Ukrainian, but originally Russian militia, I guess, that is based in Ukraine and is making sorties into Russian territory. Um, he, he says, quote, we are not a band of criminals or a private military company like Wagner. We fight within the structure of Ukrainian forces. So what's your understanding of that? The, these anti-Russian, but originally Russian groups that are making sort of raids, I guess, into, into Russian territory, are they acting with the endorsement of the Ukrainian government? Um, I, I haven't read the interview itself, but that's a, that's a good point. I, I would definitely have a look at that. Um, and of course, I cannot comment on issues that uh, that are related to military or intelligence. Uh, and I'm not private to all those conversations, which is good, right? So I think that uh, that, that needs to be made clear. Um, let, but let's be realistic. Are they... Um, can? Uh, can we say that we like what they're doing? Yes, of course, because the inroads into Belgorod region is something that truly uh, helps Ukraine. In what way? I'm originally from Kharkiv. Kharkiv is the second biggest city in Ukraine, or at least it used to be. Uh, it's literally 40 kilometers away from Russian border. And it's, it's a border in Belgorod region from the Russian side. And Kharkiv has been shelled from Belgorod for, for 15 months now, almost every day. And even if this war uh, ends tomorrow uh, and, and Russian troops withdraw completely into Russian territory, Kharkiv will always be within reach of, of the Russian artillery. It's 40 kilometers. They, they don't even need missiles to, to hit Kharkiv. So, so the idea that, that this uh, free Russia legion have been promoting, we want to make demilitarized territory in Belgorod. It's very close to my heart as a person born and raised in Kharkiv. Um, I can, uh, I would guess that yes, there is some sort of coordination with Ukrainian military and intelligence. They were using, it looks like they were using Humvees and, and kind of American hardware, which is where it gets controversial because obviously, yes. you know, the West has been providing this equipment on the idea that they wouldn't be used beyond the Russian border. And, and now it looks like they are. What should people in the West make of that? Well, I, those reports have never been confirmed. We have only read them in the Russian uh, uh, pro-regime Putin's uh, uh, media. So that is not a trustworthy source. So I truly cannot add I think Bellingcat, which is cannot really be described as a pro-Russian source, has identified the, the, the American hardware being used by that group. So I don't, I don't think that's controversial. I haven't uh, seen the, the Bellingcat uh, report. But um, I do think, I, I was following very closely whether there will be any, like, negative reaction on that from the American side. And it seems like they keep on saying we're investigating. So so that is uh, as much reaction as we got from the American authorities, at least from, from the American administration. Um, so I guess um, people need to understand that even if this is happening, um, we are within our right to protect ourselves. We never wanted to be anywhere apart from Ukraine. We never wanted to invade Russia. We never have been a threat to Russia. But now our whole livelihoods have been destroyed. Our lives have been destroyed. And we need to make everything possible for us to survive. 
Uh, there is no way that we want anyone to go through what we are going through. And there is no way that uh, we want to, because like, I know there are uh, opposition voices in some countries, or so like, you know, even pro-Russian groups claiming like, oh, Ukraine wants to drag other countries into this conflict. No, even we don't want to be in this conflict. We don't want this war for ourselves. We definitely don't want other countries to experience what we are experiencing. What we have to do is to stop this war. And the only way to stop is, is, is to win militarily. And if there are any actions that kind of have forced Russians to to uh, relocate their forces, let's say in Belgorod, from, from Ukrainian territory, then it's good for us because then they relocate within their territory, but then we can liberate our territory somewhere else. Would you say then that realistically incursions into Russian territory is part of any Ukrainian victory plan and, and that it's sort of naive to think that the activity could be contained entirely in Ukraine. I mean, should we expect to see more of this? I don't know the whole plan. Uh, I know that, uh, but what I'm sure of is that we are not planning to take over any Russian territory. That's for sure. We don't want that. We don't need that. We don't want to be, uh, to, to have people living in those territories to be part of our country. Like, trust me, we don't want that. All we want is to liberate the territory that is ours within internationally recognized borders. So no, we're definitely not planning a raid towards Moscow. That That's I'm absolutely sure of. But can there be some tactical moves to force Russians to relocate their forces and thus help us uh, liberate our territories? Yes, that is within realm of possible. Yes. Because, I mean, I just was looking at your Twitter feed after the drone attack happened on the Kremlin, um, you tweeted, Ukrainians have two big dreams, one to win the war, two to see how the Kremlin burns. The second dream almost came true last night. Russian media report that Kremlin caught fire. Nice to be continued, question mark. Will you expand on that? I mean, will you say that you were jesting or, or, or is there a sincere desire to see more of that? Uh... I mean, like, do we have, uh, there are multiple memes and multiple pictures you will see uh, of, of the Kremlin burning. That is something, do we imagine that? Yes, trust me, they have taken so much away from us than, than destroying this, this center of evil is, yes, something that we would like to happen. But it doesn't mean that we, we want to do it ourselves. You know, if there are pro-Russian groups that want to change regime in Russia, they should be doing that. All we want is to make sure that they leave us alone. That is as, as far as, as we can dream of. So, um, yeah, to be continued, yes, maybe there, uh, I believe that there will be some action happening in Russia. And it needs to happen in order to, to you know, to, for Russian regime to change. It needs to happen. But trust me, we don't want to be doing this ourselves. It's, it's too costly. Look, my, my partner is with the army, as I did mention. All I want is for him, I don't want him to liberate Moscow. I don't want him to go anywhere beyond Ukrainian border. That's as much as we all want to, to happen. Um, so I think anything apart from that is just, uh, a, you know, tactical moves uh, uh, that aim at the single goal, which is liberating our territory. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing 20 billion pounds in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here is where it gets difficult and sensitive, which is that if, you're, if the goal is to get Western support to continue and weapons to carry on flooding in, I know there's talk of F-16s or fighter jets and there's, there's a sort of escalating requirements on the weapons front. It's important that you also don't spook your Western supporters. So I wonder whether tweets like that or, you know, will, will make voices inside Western governments anxious about doing, giving further weapons because... Well, the Ukrainian government says they're not going to be used inside Russia, but people are quite overtly saying they want them to be. Do you think there's a danger there? I think it's a. Uh, I understand the question. I understand where the concern can come from. Um, yet again, everybody on the West needs to understand that we are not moving outside of our territory into the East. That that's hundred percent sure. Like everything else is is tactical moves that help us liberate our territory. That is the only thing that we all want. I don't want my partner to be within Russian borders. I don't want that. I don't want anyone else from with the Ukrainian passport to be on the Russian border. They have to deal with their regime by themselves. We don't want to deal with that. Um, and I understand, and I believe that as long as this is the only goal that we are pursuing, which is to liberate Ukrainian territories. I understand there is lots of very intense communication between the military commands in Ukraine and in the US and the UK and the, in the EU. And, and I believe that our military command explains the certain details of the plan of how we are going to liberate their territory. And I, I believe that as long as, as Western military um, commands understand that this is our military plan and that we are not going anywhere beyond our own border, then they are fine with that. And you know, we are not going anywhere beyond. We, we are not liberating Russia, trust me. So you that think they right. would tolerate 
they, the, the West will have a to tolerance for kind of what are considered tactical moves inside Russian territory as long as it doesn't look like an actual seizing of territory. It seems to be so, so far, right? There have not been any ma major backlashes from, from, the, from the Western side about that. So um, I, it, it, I hope there is an understanding. Again, here, I'm, I'm, again, I'm a member of opposition party in the parliament. I'm not making military decisions and I'm not uh, private all those communications. But I believe that for the West, it's important to, uh, to, to, to see that the only thing we're doing is, is, you know, in line with this big goal, which is, you know, liberate, which is basically helping us win the war and, and liberating our own territory. And, and as, so it seems to me that they see that this is what is happening right now, that we're not doing anything more than that. Let's, let's just be really clear about what that means, because um, presumably by our own territory, you mean the full internationally recognized Ukrainian border, which is pre-2014, that includes Crimea. Is that universal also within kind of Ukrainian elite opinion, I guess, that recapturing Crimea is, a, is an integral part of what you would consider an acceptable outcome? Uh, yes, uh, there is no debate uh, about that. Crimea is part of the Ukrainian territory. It was uh, annexed illegally with the whole world basically ignoring this, uh, unfortunately. And, and uh, we need to get Crimea back for, for multiple reasons. Um, reason number one, which is probably most important, is strategically. Crimea has, uh, because of its strategic location, if Russians con continue to control Crimea, they will always use it as the basically military basis from which they can, you know, they can launch yet another attack in five years. So if we stop there and, and Russians just just keep Crimea, they will continue militarizing it. And we will always, always will be living under this threat that this can happen again. And I don't want this to happen in the lifetime of my son. He's going to be 18 in, in eight years. So I don't want him to fight this war again. Like we want to be done with this. So, so strategically, from the military strategic st standpoint, that is clearly we need to control this territory. Secondly, of course, it's international law. We cannot just allow another country to redraw the the, the borders. It's just drawn, not just for us, but also for the for the whole world order. And thirdly, um, which is no less important, um, Crimea is, is the native land of Crimean Tatars. It's an ethnic minority within Ukraine. Crimean Tatars are literally called Crimean Tatars. That is the only territory which is their homeland. And Russians have deported them in 1946. And, and they continue to, to, to do this right now. There are hundreds of, of Crimean Tatars who are in prison now just because they're Crimean Tatars. So, so we have to, to bring some justice to, to, to these people as well. So I guess I can completely understand all of those three reasons. I think that, that makes perfect sense from the Ukrainian ideal outcome scenario. But there are lots of sensible senior people within Western governments, um, by no means Russian apologists, but people in the, the British administration, French, and I believe American as well, who take a slightly different view. And they think that full, full recapturing of Crimea is not realistic or likely as an outcome in this conflict and that actually the escalation risk of trying to make that happen given that it's such a vast Russian military base and is considered now such a kind of integral part of their worldview 
is, is a risk not worth taking in terms of escalation. And it, it might actually lead to some kind of nuclear event. And people are worried about it. What do you say to those people? I mean, there are people across the West, I think, uh, good people, who, well, they completely sympathize and I feel very moved by what's happened in Ukraine, are also worried that it's an escalation risk, that Russia is a very armed nuclear power, and we don't want to be foolhardy. What do you say to them? Uh, one, we are not suicidal. My son lives here in Ukraine. I never moved him out of the country. He's been, since the day one of the big war, he's been away of the country for five days. All the rest of the time he's here. So trust me, if, if uh, I were to see that there is some escalation or nuclear uh, threat potential, the first thing I would do, I would take my son away. And I think that is, uh, everybody watching this will understand the feeling. And of course, I don't want to, 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 to lead to the situation where this threat can, can actually be realistic. Look, Chernobyl is literally two hours drive from here. We are the country, the only country in the world that understands very clearly what a nuclear threat is. We don't want that to happen again. So, so, and, and here I get back to, to, to your initial question, is there a debate inside Ukrainian political uh, field about Crimea? There is no debate that we need to get Crimea back, but there is debate about how we do this. Do we wait till Putin dies and then we do this? This is one scenario and this is realistic and then that can be an acceptable scenario in, in, under some circumstances, right? If there is a chance that we take it back militarily, ensuring that there is no nuclear escalation, yeah, we can go this path. So there are debates about how exactly we can do this. And and, and I think that is correct. We, we should, again, not, none of us is suicidal. None of us want to be living through this. So I think there are debates about how to achieve this goal. It's just that we don't debate the goal itself. And that is the message that I would like to convey to, to the Western. So, do you, so would you be worried then if there was a straightforward military incursion into Crimea, um, would you be worried about the risk of nuclear escalation? Do you think that is a legitimate fear? I, it is a legitimate fear. We do have uh, the, you know, I do have uh, the, 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 the tablets that you need to take in case of the nuclear, not something I wanted to, to have at my home. That's very scary. Um, but so far, our military command and our intelligence have been pretty smart. And, and, uh, I continue to trust that our military and intelligence will make sure that if they make the decision to go into Crimea, it will be based on understanding that it will not lead to nuclear escalation. That is something none of us wants here. None of us. So, so and, and, and neither do the military command. So we got to have a, got to have a pretty firm understanding, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So yes. is that I'm almost detecting in, in the way you spoke about that previous idea that you could have almost as a long-term objective to take back Crimea. You know, you said when Putin dies or at some future moment. Uh, it reminds me of a piece that actually went up on Politico uh, today, I think. Um, I think we can put that on the screen. It says, Ukraine could join ranks of frozen conflicts, US officials say. And the argument here is that because both sides have publicly stated goals that are so obviously incompatible and that we don't want it just to be war for years and years and years, there could be a scenario in which the conflict kind of freezes in some state where the long-term objectives remain, but the fighting stops. Do, do you think that is a plausible short or medium-term outcome? 
it is plausible. However, it's not the best thing that can happen. Why? Uh, because we have to remember that it, for us, we are living in the ninth year of war. For us, the, the war started in 2014. So for us, this has been a frozen conflict. And living in the country which is living in the frozen conflict is, is very unpleasant. It, 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 uh, it's, uh, it's an impediment to economic development. Uh, you always have to find like different solutions. Like, would I'll give you another, a very simple, simple example. In what way it kind of stalls all the other things that need to be happening in Ukrainian society. I did serve as first deputy minister of education and science uh, in 2014-2016. Half of my work was literally making up rules and procedures and everything for kids from occupied territory in Crimea and from occupied territories in Donbass, how to make sure that they can get into Ukrainian universities. It's, it's, it literally take, it, It's like 10% of the kids, but it takes up 50-60% of the workings of the ministry to make sure that you, you come up with some sort of solutions for those kids. And it's the same for like Ministry of, of, of Public Health. Like, what do we do with people who had COVID there? Do we treat them? Do we not? Like, it just, having this frozen conflict, it always take takes away a huge part of the resources of the country, both mental, administrative, um, you know, every, political as well, because it raises, like, every time the, the, this raises issue politically. So, so living in the country which does have a frozen military conflict, it means that the country will not be developing. And this is very sad. And this will mean that people will continue to leave. They will not come back. Uh, the, the economy will collapse. So, so so that is why I don't want this to turn into frozen conflict. But is that still, I guess, you know, it's... it's I mean, it's it, a possibility, it's, yes. It's yes even, it, it must be even sadder to be living in a country where people are dying in their thousands and tens of thousands in, in, in a hot conflict. So I guess in the scale of tragedy, would that be preferable to an ongoing war that lasts years and years? Well, preferably, we would not be in any sort of war. And it's, it's just extremely unfair that we, we have to do this and we have to live through this. Uh, we never chose to do this. We never chose this to be our path. And I think that is what we, what the world needs to remember is, is like, the world needs to, to help those who, who were were attacked with without any provocation, and and I think that is what we, like we need to stop this, and we need to uh, to make sure that Russia is just just leaves us alone and and does whatever they want within their territory, because either option like having the options of living in the frozen conflict or in an active war zone, I don't want either. I want to live in my own country and and deal with our own society and, and how we develop, and that is all all we want, like any other country. It's extremely unfair that we are presented with these two choices, which neither of them you want to, for, for your children to live in. Let me conclude by asking about a kind of future scenario, because we don't often talk or think about what might happen later after such a deal may or may not be struck. How secure do you think President Zelensky is? I mean, is there any concern that the sort of ultranationalist groups that are now very well armed by the West might not accept whatever deal or frozen conflict or whatever President Zelensky ultimately suggests and wants to endorse. Do you think there's a risk that there are now groups within Ukraine that, that basically won't, won't stop even when he says we should stop? Uh, 
A, I don't understand what are the ultra-nationalist groups uh, uh, that are very well armed. The only groups that are armed in Ukraine are the Ukrainian army. You call them ultra-nationalists because they fight for our country. Well, then all other armies in the world are also ultra-nationalists. Um, but um, it, it's difficult to speculate about that because we don't know what sort of solutions that will be under what circumstances and, and in which situation, in which context. Um, so I think, of course, the the, the only solution that 100% of the society will, will will be happy about is us winning the war, liberating our territory completely, and, and that's it. Uh, any other scenario will be unpleasant for some people, that's for sure. Uh, and it will, again, I would also believe it will not be the best one that we can get. So so we should we should aim for more, because only more is, is basically the only acceptable solution for us, is, is just getting our lives back. Um, so it's kind of difficult to comment on that because it just, uh, you know, it's a very, there are many unknowns in that and um, too many variables um, even to, to try to imagine that. I know we have to do today, tomorrow, in a week from now. That Unfortunately, we don't have, uh, you know, coming up with solutions for, for what if is, is I guess not... what, what I really meant was sort of returning to where we started, where we were talking about normal politics in Ukraine, democratic politics. Do you worry that your political opponents uh, in normal times have been sort of empowered during this wartime? You might find there are kind of really quite unsavory uh, groups and political people that now have a lot more power than they used to. Is, is that something we should worry about? There are people in power I don't like. There are people uh, that there have been within the last couple of months quite lots of um, and uh, like anti-corruption investigations uh, that revealed corruption by certain officials in Ukraine and power. And I don't want those people to get any more power and I want that to get punished. The good part of that is that those investigations were conducted by official anti-corruption bodies that have been established within the last eight years in Ukraine and which are now producing results. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not happy about that. Of course, I'm not. Uh, and I want Ukraine to win this war as a democratic state. That's absolutely given. We don't want to win this war as, as you know, uh, anything else, less than that. Uh, but we do have a very strong civil society and we do have a very strong political tradition, which uh, which I'm sure will make sure, which, which will kind of um, ensure that this happens. Ukraine will always be democratic. It can be a messy democracy, but it will always be democratic. That's something I'm I'm absolutely sure about. And then we get back to business as usual, when and politicians will offer different, uh, you know, uh, plans for the country, and, and then the society will choose which plan they like better. But what I'm sure of is Ukraine now is on its sixth president. Russia is on the second and a half, if you count Medvedev as an independent figure. Uh, we are a democracy. We have always been, and I'm sure we will continue to be. Ina Solvson, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That was Ina Sovson, Ukrainian MP, deputy leader of the Holos opposition party, giving us her perspective from the ground in Kiev. I tried to gently challenge on some escalation risks and possible realistic endings for this war, whilst being mindful that it was kind of her to give us the time. So thanks to her. What's clear is that she doesn't consider it her role to look for compromise or create solutions based on realpolitik and you can understand that. She is fighting for the survival of her country day by day. 
Thanks to her and thanks to you for tuning in. This was Unheard. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.